You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 306th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 963rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of August 31st, 2023. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. This week's Banner Moment occurred on Monday when Indiana posted a get-to-know-you social media video featuring freshman Mackenzie Mbako. The final question in the video was, what can Hoosier Nation expect from you? And here is Mackenzie's reply. A bucket. That's what they can expect, a walking bucket. Stay tuned, stay tuned. A bucket, a walking bucket. It was a reminder to me of how rarely over the past 25 years Indiana has had truly versatile wing scoring on the roster. Guys who don't just specialize in one thing, but can score at multiple levels. I mean, when you think about it, it's a pretty short list. You could probably put Xavier Johnson on it if you wanted to, though he's really more of a distributor first than a scorer. And Al Durham could technically be included, though he had a clear ceiling on what he could accomplish as a scorer in the Big Ten. Prior to those guys, and in terms of actual NBA caliber scoring wings, You have to go back to Romeo in 2019, Victor Oladipo in 2013, and Eric Gordon in 2008. It's a pretty short list for a program with the expectations of Indiana, and it's hard to win at the highest levels without guys who are, to use McKenzie's term, walking buckets. Now, will McKenzie truly be a walking bucket as a freshman? Time will tell. But while so much time has been spent discussing the potentially awkward defensive fit of Mbako, Renew, and Ware together... It's important to remember that our guys get to play offense too, and McKenzie is going to provide an interesting challenge to opposing coaches. Put a smaller wing on him, and he's strong enough and skilled enough to play in the post. Put a bigger guy on him, and McKenzie has the skills to drive. Leave him open from outside, and he profiles as a credible three-point shooter from day one. In other words, he has the potential, potential, to be a consistent scoring option even as a freshman because of the variety of skills he brings to the table. There's a reason why he was a five-star McDonald's All-American, and there's a reason he consistently shows up in 2024 mock draft first rounds. If McKenzie Mbako can indeed be a walking bucket during his season in Bloomington, it will help to offset some of the concerns about Indiana's projected lack of consistent offense from its two-guard spot. And if McKenzie can do that with the combo of Trey and CJ providing consistent scoring as well, Well, now you've got an offense capable of being truly prolific and a team that could be quite dangerous come February and March. All right, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Andy and Coach are both off. 
Uh, and Ryan is here, uh, and he's going to be here momentarily, but he's working on a story for the big lead. News broke about uh, ESPN being pulled from Spectrum Cable. Uh, so he is working on that right now. So we will do our intro for Ryan uh, here when he is ready. Um, but here's what we have in store for you this week. We're going to run through some Hoosier headlines. Ryan will give you his opening thoughts. And then in segment two, Eamon Brennan is here to discuss IU, the Big Ten, and the College Hoops landscape. Uh, have always wanted to have uh, Eamon on the show, and so it'll be great to have him here. Uh, and then we're going to kind of roll the mailbag in uh, with questions for Eamon. Uh, so all of that is coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Uh, before we get to who's your headlines, oh, and I should let you know, if you hear lots of little voices in the background, my daughter has a bunch of friends over. Uh, and normally, like if it was a post-game show, I'd be a little bit more serious about, hey, don't make noise outside the door. But it's the middle of August. You got to pick your battles. So I'm just going to let them make noise. So if you hear uh, the chatter uh, of four young girls running around having fun playing together, that's them. Uh, I kind of apologize, but not really. Let's let them have fun. It's just the off season. Uh, so anyway, let's uh, let's go. Let's talk about our presenting sponsor. That's right. This edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere. And it's not just Indiana. Homefield has something for everyone. I mean, no matter what college or university you're a fan of or that you have a family member maybe that went to, Homefield is going to have something at their website for them. Uh, and it's not just t-shirts anymore. There's crew necks and hoodies and quarter zips and bomber jackets and hats. I mean, they just continue to expand uh, their product line and, you know, they continue to expand their outreach. I mean, one of the things I love about home field apparel is the respect that they've always shown to the colleges and universities that, you know, they're putting their products out there. Uh, and I, I don't know if you saw on social media, but Nebraska last night, the women's volleyball team had over 90,000 people at Memorial Stadium uh, in Lincoln to watch a volleyball match. And home field was there. They had gear printed for it. They were there to help celebrate it. That's what home field does, man. They celebrate the traditions of the colleges and universities in this country that are so special, so special to so many of us. And they do it on high quality materials. I mean, the stuff is comfortable. The colors last through many washings. It's just a great company. We love them. Uh, and Connor, the founder, he's actually going to be on Assembly Call Radio in a couple weeks. Uh, it'll be great to catch up with him. So look forward to that. But go to homefieldapparel.com. If you've never purchased from them, now's a great time to start. Uh, the promo code is HOME23. That gives you 15% off your first order. That's promo code HOME23 for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. Okay, while well, we wait for Ryan to get here, uh, let's just roll through a few Hoosier headlines here. Uh, football season, obviously opening on Saturday. Indiana takes on Ohio State. I believe that tip is 3.30 uh, on uh, CBS, I believe. I did not write that down, but I believe that's where it is. Um, you know, I saw, obviously, I'm not going to be there at the game because I live in Texas, uh, but I did see some people talking about, you know, some of the parking is a little bit different this year. So I would make sure, you know, go on social media, um, you know, send a tweet to someone like Galen, who's going to be there and kind of be on top of this stuff. Uh, if you have questions about parking, tailgating, any of that stuff, but big opener for the Hoosiers. You know, I know a lot of us are, you know, not really sure how to feel about this season. Obviously, we're all, you know, hopeful and, and want the team to do well. 
but just you know, it's it's really curious what's going to be out there. Um, and Galen and the guys at Crimson Cast Scott uh, also have done a great job, uh, uh, you know, providing content to get you ready for the season. Uh, also, Sammy and our friends over at Hoosier Huddle, you know, doing the same thing. And so, if you're looking to get hyped up for the game, go listen to their shows. I'm in the middle uh, of Galen and Scott's big epic hour and forty minute preview uh, that they just posted early today. Uh, so, looking, I'll probably listen to that when I get done here. Uh, so, anyway, big game coming on Saturday for Indiana, and I don't, you know, obviously, we haven't won since my dad was coaching in Indiana back in the '80s. We have this last time we beat Ohio State. Um, so, you know, kind of looking for a miracle here, but hopefully the team just plays well and there's something to build on, uh, for the games moving forward that are a little bit more winnable on the basketball front. We are now on the cusp of some very big recruiting weekends, and we've been talking about these and talking about these, but now they're here. Uh, I think everybody knows next week, Liam McNeely, Derek queen, they will be on campus. That is you know, one of the bigger weekend visits I can remember, uh, just because of how much the coaching staff has invested in the 2024 class and, you know, how much it feels like Liam McNeely has kind of become the linchpin for that class. Everybody that you talk to, all the recruiting experts that you talk to, you know, kind of say that Liam is, you know, that Indiana is the clear favorite, right? Has emerged as a leader. Now he was taking a visit to Kansas. He has another one scheduled to Texas. So nothing is set in stone. But it really does feel like that's one you lock him in a consensus top 15 player. You know, now he can work on his teammate, Derek Queen uh, and Curtis Givens, their other teammate from Montverde and some of the other guys that Indiana's going after, um, you know, and if you don't get him, that's going to kind of set you back a little bit. So it's a huge recruiting weekend. That is next weekend. But this weekend is also a big recruiting weekend because Indiana, uh, Mike Woodson and his staff, they have not just been laying groundwork and really going hard at the 2024 class. They've also done that with the 2025 class, you know, and, and I know a lot of us, you know, kind of lamented the fact that, hey, you know, we really didn't pull a lot of guys from the freshman class in 2023 through their traditional recruiting calendar. Indiana had Ja'Kai Newton and Gabe Cups, and of course they got McKenzie and Baco late, which I guess we say that's not their traditional recruiting calendar, but it certainly has become a consistent part of Mike Woodson's recruiting attack to get a guy who decommits in, in April and, and bring them in. Uh, you know, but part of the reason why they didn't get more of those commits during the traditional you know, kind of recruiting calendar in 2023 is I think they looked at the landscape, didn't see as many difference makers as they were hoping, and really kind of started investing more time in 2024 and 2025, which is going to set you back for the 2023 class. But if it pays off in these next two recruiting classes, then I think everybody can look at it as a net positive. So coming in this weekend are a trio of big-time prospects from the 2025 class, Jalen Harrelson, Malachi Moreno, and Darius Adams. Uh, Jalen and Darius, I believe, are going to be teammates at uh, Lalu. Uh, coming up, Malachi Moreno, a top 50 big man. So all of those guys, I presume they will be at the game on Saturday. Uh, but a big recruiting weekend for those players that Indiana is trying to you know, continue to build relationships with. And then we'll have a lot more uh, on the big recruiting weekend that's coming up with Liam, Derek Queen, and others after that. But big things happening. It's kind of one of those things we've been talking about it. It's kind of felt like it's out in the future a little bit. And now it's here. And, you know, I think now we're getting to the point where you need to start seeing some commitments, not right away, but as October rolls into the early signing period in November, you want to start to see some of this work that the staff has put in start to bear fruit in terms of commitments. Other Hoosier headlines for this week, Romeo Langford has agreed to an Exhibit 10 contract with the Utah Jazz, so nice to see him 
you know, get another chance. And that guarantees nothing, um, but it gives him an opportunity. Danny Ainge, now the GM with the Utah Jazz, he obviously was with Boston uh, when Romeo was drafted at the back end of the lottery there. So Danny Ainge clearly still sees something in Romeo that he likes. So we wish Romeo well. Uh, And then Hoosiers for Good, our friends at Hoosiers for Good, announced that all 12 men's basketball players are part of their latest NIL class. Uh, and so you can go check that out. They put out a nice video, you know, kind of showing all the different charities that they work with. Um, and so if you want to support, uh, Hoosiers for good and Hoosiers connect, go to HoosiersConnect.com uh, to support IUNIL. We're going to be doing a lot more with them, uh, moving forward. Um, but they've really, you know, opened up some different channels, you know, uh, some different avenues to where, you know, charities can go work, businesses can go work, big time donors can donate there, but they also, you know, want some of the smaller time donors. I mean, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, it all adds up. It all matters. Uh, and even those of us who don't have a ton of money to put in, but you know, can give our little bits here and there, it all adds up. Um, and so that is, uh, something else to think about there with Hoosiers for good, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, now here with us here, ready to talk Indiana basketball. I believe he is a senior writer for the big lead. He's a proud alumnus of the Indiana daily student. And he is a man who is geared up for another season of cheering on his Los Angeles chargers. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. No, still not going to claim the Chargers. I know. How, how is that funny, Jared? It's, it's, it's funny. It's we a deep friends. cut. It's a deep cut. Yeah. I will say this, though. I will say this. I would much rather the Chicago White Sox have hired you than Chris Getz. Can I just put that out there? I mean, Someone new. A new perspective. You know? Yeah. Hey, uh, same complaints I made about the Padres this week. I know. By the way, I know. Um, Give me your opening thoughts, and then we'll get to even. Well, first of all, you know, you brought up the Chargers, so I got to say, uh, <laughs> they released the Forbes valuations of franchises this year. The team, a team in the nation's second biggest media market, is now twenty fifth in team value uh, among the thirty two NFL teams. So, real great move there, guys. Uh, to <laughs> You think you're going to move to L.A. and be top five, and guess what? They were 20 If only seconds. someone had seen that coming before yeah. it happened. You know? In San Diego, by the way, though, last year in San Diego, they were 22nd most valuable franchise, and now they are 25th. So uh, I was right. That's that's all we're just going to stick with. Um, mm. Yeah, by the way, uh, apologies to anybody who has Spectrum uh, cable or internet. You uh, no, can no longer watch ESPN or uh, <laughs> you, probably your local ABC affiliate, FX, Disney Channel, anything related to Disney. Apparently, Disney called Spectrum's bluff. So uh, they mm. are in a dispute over rights fees. And I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. So you might want to try. And uh, I would never advocate for an illegal stream of something ever, ever. Um, never. Who cares? But find a way to watch. The assembly calls on tonight. You don't need to worry but, about it. Uh, no, I, I just mean the future. Like if oh, you need yes. to watch something this weekend, there's college football, you know, again, would never advocate for using the internet as a tool to watch something illegally ever. Oh. Uh, but you do need to figure out a way to do that. And however you do, that's fine. But uh, <laughs> don't say I told you and just, just covering my ass here, guys. Uh, yeah. It's on IU sports. Uh, yeah, I would say interested to see what happens this weekend with football. Um, and I, the recruiting weekend next weekend is the biggest thing. And I know we're going to have a show before then, but still, I think the gearing up for that is, is kind of where everybody's at right now. And it's, it's as big news. a recruiting weekend as I can remember. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you could go back a long, long way too. um, 
yeah, it's was it like Charlie Villanueva and Luol Deng coming to town in like the <laughs> well, early 2000s? I we mean, don't want no, those I, vibes. <laughs> with for for an official visit, I mean, they've had great collections of talent on campus before, but as far as like an official visit with guys you have a chance with, yes. Um, this is as big as it's been in a long time. Usually they spread those out a little or they have a commit in town with a guy they're looking at or something like that. These are two guys looking for the commitments. And I, you know, I was typing, but I heard you say, I mean, a lot of people do think that Indiana is the team to beat for McNeely. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge, huge weekend. And he has a visit after lined up afterwards. So you'd love to get him last. Um, it just worked out this way. And Derek queen, it, Seems like there are a couple teams firmly in the mix, and I use right there with the rest of them. And you hope to get one, and maybe the domino falls on the next guy. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, well, let's move on here and let's pick the brain of a special guest who has a unique view on Indiana's place in the college basketball landscape. It is Eamon Brennan. We are going to talk to him next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. All right. Eamon, how you doing, man? Hey, how's it going? It's good. Hey, there he is. Let me get my full head in frame there. <laughs> uh, my laptop. So uh, normally I do this from my desktop computer, um, but I'm having uh, some, or normally I do it from my laptop, but I'm having some issues getting my mic to mm, work. So I just put my phone propped up here. It works. It sounds okay. good. It looks sounds- good. Yeah, yeah you're okay. good. as long as it looks and sounds okay, it should be all right. But yeah. just wanted to let you know. No, How you been, good. buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good. How about you guys? Good. Good. For good. those who don't know, Eamon and I worked together at the IDS back in the day in college. I uh, he was my he was my sports editor my senior year. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> true. Way back in the day. Way back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I depresses me how long that's been. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, what is it now? 16 years since I graduated yeah. college. That's, yeah. You were Oh seven. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, it's very long time. That means mm-hmm. it was even longer for me. I'm not even going to do that, but uh, yeah. What was Ryan like to work with? Very easy. The thing about the college paper is that particularly at, at the Indiana daily student at the time is that um, a lot of people want to write about sports mm-hmm. and um, the number of them that want to do it, is greater than the number who can actually do it. Yeah. But you want to encourage people, you want to like coach people and you want to be helpful as much as possible. Um, and it is always a relief when you just have someone who <laughs> can just, just write and do a yeah. good job. Um, actually, a, a guy who works for the ringer now, Matt Dollinger, yep. I was the editor in chief sure. of the paper. Um, one of the summers, it was the summer uh, my, before my senior year. Yeah. Yeah. And, so uh, yeah. And, um, he's from Bloomington originally. He just like walked in in the summer cause he was home for the summer and he was transferring to Indiana from Mizzou. And he was like, Hey, can I help? And he, I was like, yeah, can you send me a couple of writing samples and like, just write me a story about, you know, whatever Indiana basketball, just write me something. And he wrote it. I was like, Oh God. Thank, Thank God. God. <laughs> well, he wound up doing like everything at the paper, working in Bloomington, and now he's like gone on to have a great career. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. We but were there. Nice. We were there at a good time. We yeah. were there at a good time. There were a lot of very good writers when we were there. You were one. I mean, you were one of them. I remember when you were a sophomore, Mac Linesque, who's at the Indy Star, 
he was leaving and he was a year ahead of me. I mean, we're about the same age, but I was older. And he, uh, I said, so, you know, he got to read everybody's stuff every day. And I'd read some stuff in the paper and he said to me, or I asked him, I'm like, Oh, so who's the next wave? Like, you know, kind of jokingly. And he's like, we got like three kids, but he's like, even Brennan's going to be a star. And I was like, I started reading your stuff and I was like, that's the guy that's the next guy. And then, you know, Zach came after you and, uh, yeah. Dollinger as well. I mean, it was, it was a really good roster of people. Um, we yeah, were, no, I mean, for sure. I feel like the they're paper always was great back then. That, that, that's yeah. the thing about, about, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think it's, you know, I read the daily student every now and again, now and again. And when I see it and I think, you know, the folks there are doing a really great job, but it was a different time and like a very yeah. different sort of, um, business model for the paper and if you remember when we were in school like everybody picked up the paper on the way to school and the ad business was really strong and so we had a big paper every day of the week i mean it was it felt like it was as big as their old times at the time yeah for sure it really did it was yeah Mm -hmm. and the ad i mean the ad stuff was you know you'd have buffaloes or whatever doing a full page ad by like different time different time in the business very very different time for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I I will say, and I've said this to a lot of people, it's probably the most professional newsroom I've ever been in. And I worked at several papers. I mean, it legitimately, because everybody really wanted to be there. They weren't there for the paycheck. They were there yeah. because they really wanted to be there. And they all took it very seriously. And it was a lot yeah. of fun. So, people, all right, memory lane. Even hard edits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> memory lane. Uh, memory lane is always fun. I know. Um, how are you on time, Eamon? If we go like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, is that good? Yeah, I got plenty of time. Okay. All good. Awesome. Kids are in bed. I'm good. Nice. Mine are not. So you may hear the voices of children in the background here uh, behind me, but it's the summer. So it is okay. We'll crack the whip more during uh, November and December when there's actual games. Okay. Let's uh, hit this and we'll hop into segment two. Here we go. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than handing a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. The only thing better would be hitting a game winner to win at Wisconsin, a streak that desperately needs to end, hopefully as soon as this season. Uh, Welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Ryan Phillips, and we are very excited to be joined by a special guest, and that is Eamon Brennan. Uh, Eamon went to IU where he became editor of the IDS. Uh, he and Ryan were just reminiscing uh, here between segments about their time there. Uh, then Eamon founded Inside the Hall with Alex Bozich and Ryan Carraza, and then went on to cover college shoots for ESPN and The Athletic, and just recently launched his own Substack buzzer, uh, which you can learn more about and subscribe to at substack.com slash Eamon Brennan. I highly recommend it. I am a subscriber. It is excellent stuff, and we are very excited to have Eamon here with us, his debut appearance on the Assembly Call, I think. I don't think you've been on the Assembly Call before, have you? No, I, I don't no. think so. No. I believe so. So awesome I'm to have you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for he's been me. He's been dodging great. us for 12 years. It's yeah. It's, he's like, I mean, I had to work with Ryan back in college. I'm not going on the show now. <laughs> I'm done with yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, so how are things going with the Substack? I mean, I read, you know, kind of your most recent one where you gave a little update on it. And, I, I you know, as someone who, you know, has worked with newsletters and helps, you know, people who are building newsletters, I love just the mindset of appreciation and gratitude that you had uh, with that uh, with that email. But how's it going uh, with Substack so far? 
Honestly, it's been really good. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's a small part of you that the, the night before you hit publish on the first post is thinking, there's a, you know, who knows? You never know. Maybe this will, maybe I'll have 50,000 subscribers tomorrow. You know, like maybe. And that didn't happen. But what did happen is that like hundreds of people signed up. And um, in the first two months, particularly, we're at like the two month mark now, basically. Um, there's been a really good response, like a community is building. Um, awesome. The number of subscribers has steadily gone up. And we're now to the point where having launched in the absolute death of the college basketball offseason, um, I'm looking at the start of the season coming up and the entirety of the season. And obviously I do uh, bubble watch, which is like a big feature that people seek out and that got a little, a lot of people to sign up to the athletics college basketball thing when I started over there. Um, that sort of gradual process of people finding out where you are. Uh, I feel like that is now happening at a level where um, after the first few weeks, it's like, oh, is this, is this thing going to work? Like, do I need to find another, like just another media job? Like, what am I going to do here? And I feel like where we are after two months, I'm like, very encouraged about the general direction of where it's going to go and what the, you know, what the growth opportunities are. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really good. I've had, you know, I've had people reach out asking to like write for the site, um, which I want to <laughs> oh, wow. be like, please don't give me your work for free or whatever. Like, let's not do that. But yeah. um, there's definitely been a really good little uh, cadre of commenters and subscribers that are like really into it and it's building and it's been very exciting so far. That's got to be super gratifying too. Cause you're kind of going on in your own kind of, as you said, sort of jumping into the void and to have people respond to it has right. to feel great. I mean, we, we, you know, all three of us here have started things out of nowhere previously a long time ago. And you, you do, you never know if anyone's ever going to read it. And it's, mm -hmm. I mean, for those who don't know, Eamon's worked at ESPN's, you know, Yahoo Sports. He worked at Fan House, I think, too, way back in the day. Way back I mean, in the day, yeah. Yeah, so in The Athletic, and you've kind of hit all these stops along the way. It's, you know, it's you're somebody whose opinion is valued in the industry. So being able to go out on your own and and do that and have people continue to respond to it, it's got to be pretty great. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really, um, it is gratifying and every subscription you're like awesome way to go like <laughs> yeah. get on board like let's go um and every even every email sign up you're just like yeah fantastic like you know i think the the thing that's that's really good about it and the way the business model is encouraging to me is that like i saw the numbers at the athletic they're very numbers it's a very numbers focused company and they share all the metrics with you so you can kind of see as a writer what's working what's not and they kind of nudge you towards what what maybe is and so you yeah. come into this now with that understanding while also um all of it is coming to you and yeah. there isn't uh there isn't this huge infrastructure that's helping you get subs but you don't need that many you just need a, yeah. a small number of people to to kick you a few bucks every month and you're you've got a viable business on your hands so it's a really exciting model. It's really, it's been really fun so far. And I've, I feel like, um, particularly gratifying is people who are on board, even though I've been very open about the fact that like, I'm figuring it out on the fly and I don't know what it's going to eventually look like. I don't have a content plan for the next, um, you know, two years or whatever. 
but we'll get there. And in the meantime, it's been, it's been really, really fun and super exciting. Like Kevin Kelly said, find your thousand true fans and you can, uh, you can build a fulfilling career around them. That's great, man. I'm excited to, to hear that it's going well. And we of course will continue sending people your way. And anybody else who like me is a big Indiana fan, but also likes to pay attention to the Virginia basketball program. That's right in the wheelhouse of your newsletter. You in Virginia, man. <sighs> the, the Virginia fans, I will say, I, I, they were among my biggest, you know, cause I did a lot of local, when I first came to the athletic, I did a lot of local DC yep. stuff. Cause I'm out here in DC yep. and they were, that was the national title year. Um, was the kind of the first full year I wrote college basketball at the athletic. Um, and so I followed them that whole year and did the, their whole national title stuff. And so, uh, um, co- kind of covered them locally. Did you go to, to Charlottesville for games and stuff too? Oh yeah. All yeah, the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, you know, a lot last year, even, yeah. you know, even though they were or two years, even, uh, the years they've been bad. Like I still go because, mm-hmm. um, it's like two hour, it's like a two hour drive. I like going down there and there it's usually worth, worth, um, worth a while. And, Virginia fans love to read about their program and they're, they're diehards. It's, it's, it's good. And so there, there are a lot of people have signed up that are Virginia fans specifically. And then, you know, it's, it's funny. It's going to be like a national college basketball site. That's going to have a little bit of Virginia content that probably more than some other programs, just because, you know, that's who people reaching out being like, please do the same Virginia stuff you're doing at the athletic. And I'm not going to turn them down. So, yeah. I'll appreciate reading those posts. So keep them coming. Yeah. Out. Jared, Jared, <laughs> yeah. Jared definitely has a man crush. On they're, they're my adopted second team. I'm a big Tony. There you go. Fan. That's fair um, all right. So let's turn our attention to the Hoosiers. That's what people are here for. And like I said, I mean, you've got a unique perspective on them, you know, from your time, you know, covering Indiana, but then also now, you know, kind of having the national perspective for, you know, 10, 15 years, however long it's been. And this is, it's really why I wanted to have you on the show. Cause I mean, we obviously hyper focus on Indiana and know the players really well and know everything that's going on with Indiana, where I think sometimes we might fall a little bit short is understanding where Indiana fits in the national context of college basketball. We know what our expectations are. We know what we'd like it to be, but at any given moment, it's not always kind of clear what that is. And so I'm kind of curious to get your perspective right now here in Mike Woodson's third off season, where does Indiana fit in the college basketball landscape right now? Like what is Indiana's place? Where do you see it? I would say Indiana is a um, top 20 program or should be on a regular basis. I think, um, you know, I, I think if you strip away everything and you look at like, I, I think the Maryland conversation is an interesting one in this regard too. Um, because people look at Maryland or Texas is another good one. Um, people look at those programs and they see the resources, they see the local area, they see the ability to recruit there. Um, and those are really good jobs. I think most college basketball coaches would consider Texas like a top five job, partially because they're not going to like run you out of town if you, if you have three or four okay seasons yeah at the you know same what i mean time, the money's still you get there a, yeah. you get a fair amount of leash with texas fans because they barely notice they have a basketball program until you know late february um but i think indiana um nationally at this point is like should be a top 20 program every year should it should compete at that level and the fact that it hasn't for 
a pretty long time with, with, with exceptions. It's been mostly an exception, you know, good years under Tom Green, um, none under Archie really. Uh, I was about to say good years under Archie, but it really does. Um, you know, I think, I, I think that everybody has a lot of respect for Indiana as a program and feels like it should probably be better than it has been for the last like 20 years. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What do you think it'll take then to kind of take those next steps? And, you know, I mean, obviously Indiana fans, I mean, we consider Indiana a blue blood and want to be competing for final fours and, you know, doing all that stuff. And, you know, that, you know, Mike Woodson, uh, you know, Alex um, put this on uh, his recruiting story this week. He was kind of um, recounting what Mike Woodson had said when he first took over recruiting wise, which is, you know, his assistants basically kind of said like we can't really go after these guys you know at the top of the list and Mike Woodson said no we're Indiana we're going to go after these guys uh, which is what they've done in 24 and 25 and we'll have to see now if they can land them um, mm-hmm. and I guess that's the question like is that what it's going to take is kind of landing these classes and you know winning big on the biggest stages to get Indiana back to stature wise what we think it should be yeah I think so I mean I think it's also a weird time in college basketball where like you you'd love you'd love to get you know one or two of the top 10 players or top 20 players every year, but that's not a guarantee of success. I mean, you can put together an incredible recruiting class um, and still be kind of average. I mean, Duke last year was kind of average and granted, you know, it was John Shire's first year as a coach and they had some injuries and whatever. And they, by the end of the year, they looked like a really good team, but it's not 2012 anymore where, you know, Calipari's got this thing rolling and he's got, you know, 10 incredible freshmen lined up every year or whatever. Um, You know, the best teams are old now. And so you want to recruit well at the top end, but I think you just, you need to recruit well at every tier of player and you need to find guys that fit your system and you have to have a clear idea of what you want to do. And you have to, to line in, you have to, you know, layer in guys who are going to fit and you have to be able to then once they, you know, once your four star number 56th ranked recruit doesn't play a lot freshman year and transfers to Davidson, you have to then find another guy who can shoot at a 40% clip in the transfer portal and get him on board and, and up to speed right away. And I think he, I think Woodson's done a, pretty good job of of balancing these sorts of things. I mean, it's roster building at the end of the day. And at the NBA level, these guys do it all the time. So it's not like the end of the world. I feel like actually Mike Woodson is, is relatively well built for this particular moment in college basketball history where, you know, maybe 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, you'd maybe be looking for a guy who's going to like grind young players, develop them, get some three-star guys that are going to take off. And like, that's not, I'm not saying he can't do that, but right now in 2023, like you can get a team pretty good in a pretty short space of time. Like some programs do this every year just because their coaches are like weirdos and they think it's fun. Like Arkansas, Arkansas. like Musselman is like, everybody loves, was thinking Arkansas loves re-hitting reset. the reset button. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. just loved, I mean, I, I remember talking to um, Dan Bernstein, who's a uh, radio host in Chicago and he used to cover Mus when he was in the CBA and like as a he was like a low level radio reporter guy he used to go to his press conferences before every you know CBA game or whatever and Musselman used to 
announces the guys that he picked up and dropped from his CBA team every day. Like every day he would have like three or four guys that he brought onto the roster because he wanted to play around with them some more. And so he's happy doing that every year. And they've been pretty good, Arkansas, the last four or five years. And sometimes in, in the beginning of the season, they look a little weird. And by January, you're like, oh, Musselman's got a really good team here. Um, so it is possible to do that now. And so you don't necessarily, to, to circle all the way back, you don't necessarily need to be super locked in on, we got to have a top five class every year. We're Indiana. We need to be, you know, yes, get talented players, get them wherever you can, but get them wherever you can and and make sure they fit. If you have a guy like Trace Jackson Davis, make make sure you have a bunch of guys around him who can shoot, who can play make off the dribble. I think I think they did a really nice job last year of building a team that made sense around him. And I think that's that's what you have to do. Get get good players on campus, um, but have an idea of what you want to do and layer them in at every tier of, of the recruiting process. We've talked a lot here about Mike Woodson. You know, it seems like behind the scenes in the program, he's doing a lot of really good things with getting guys confidence and being a mentor and all of that stuff. But we've talked about the on-court stuff and how sometimes it doesn't work, the transition from NBA to college basketball, because they are different games with different priorities. I'm wondering what you've seen from him. I mean, obviously, the offense has been kind of old school because it's been centered around a post player for his entire time here. I'm wondering what you've seen and, and if there are things you like about him coaching wise, and if there's anything you have seen sort of on the court that you didn't really uh, respond to compared since you cover it nationally, sort of comparatively to what else is going on in college basketball. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's probably been times where like I've been on a group thread with, with Indiana buddies where we've been like, what, wait, what's, what's happening with this? We have a similar you know, experience. Yeah. Like what, <laughs> what are we doing with this after timeout here? What was that call? But, Generally speaking, I feel like Indiana runs good stuff. It's not, is he reinventing the wheel? No. Like he's not coming up with some crazy new five out system, you know, that some random Canadian developmental coach came up with and is now like becoming like a hot trendy thing. That's not what they're doing, but he's running stuff that makes sense. That works in the NBA, pick and roll space, the floor, and if you put talented players in that context, like we saw last year, you know, J you have Jalen Huchifino playing pick and roll, hitting every 15 footer he sees, you know, at Purdue that works. So like get good players and put them in competent positions to succeed. And, and you're fine. You don't need to be the world's greatest, most dialed in tactician. Um, if you have talented players and, you know, I mean, hell, like, was Roy Williams the world's greatest tactician? I feel like he got a little bit more, um, you know, negative attention for, for like rolling the balls out than he deserved. But he would be the first person to tell you like this. We don't run hard stuff. Like we were, we're North Carolina. We get all the best players in the country. And then we tell them to run up and down the floor really fast and go score the ball. And it's so just the dedication too. to it. That was the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that, it every, that every possession, as yeah. long as guys are hustling, I have no problem. That's basically Roy's whole thing. Um, you, you don't need to be uh crazy, you know, hyper, like we're going to run every play and I need to call every single set or whatever. If you have good players and you have them in the right sort of positions and you have them spaced well enough and guys can make shots. And I feel like, Last year was a great example of sort of that mindset paying dividends. And I feel like it's a, it's a totally workable one. Um, you know, I think that there are 
the, I think the thing about college basketball is that there are guys who are just total savant genius level coaches who make that like are unfair basically for like 30 years. Like Bill Self is one, right? Like if you have Bill Self coaching your program, you're going to be good every year. You're going to recruit really good players, but you're also just going to have the best in-game tactician that there is in the business. And you watch some of the stuff he runs and it's just crazy. Rick Pitino was one. Like for all of his self-destructive tendencies, he was as an incredible coach and still is, right? St. John's is going to be really good this year, I promise you, like in no time flat. Um, And so is Mike Woodson that? I don't think so. Do I think he needs to be? Not necessarily. Would you like to get that guy eventually down the road where you just feel like, oh my God, we have one of the best coaches in college basketball and he's not leaving anytime soon. You'd love to get that guy because Indiana fans grew up with that guy. They that you know that was their entire existence as basketball fans. But it's very difficult to do twice in one program's history. I think maybe North Carolina is the only place that's ever done it. Yep. So it's it's easier said than done. Indiana, I think, is what's in that? No, he's very competent, and maybe down the line, five ten years, you find that guy again. But. It's much easier, like I said, much easier said than done. What you just said is exactly why Indiana fans are so attached to the idea of Brad Stevens still yeah. to this day is because they want that guy who's never going to leave and is, you know, has a reputation as a such a good coach. It's yeah. even to this day, you've got another coach, you've moved on. He's an executive in the NBA now and has expressed no interest in returning to coaching. And people, he like, wants to sit in an office all yeah. day and will ask me on the floor. I will get DMs all the time. Ask, I haven't even heard that oh, name in probably a year it. now. I get really? it probably. You know what? When Indiana loses, I get that. All it's right, somebody well, just like, so. All bets are off when Indiana loses. When, Nothing when, counts for the 24 cook, hours Brad after Stevens, now you lost. Right? Like, <laughs> Brad will be away from coaching. He'll want it again. I'm like, I don't think Brad ever wants to coach again, quite frankly. But uh, no, yeah, especially not in college. Um, well, you don't but, have to travel and you don't have to recruit what he's doing. Yeah, right you yeah, play 85, just, you do 85 to 110 games or whatever, 100 games a year, and you yeah. have to travel half the time. You don't have to recruit. You don't have to deal with boosters. He even complained about that at Butler. I mean, imagine at Indiana yeah. dealing with all of that political stuff. Yeah. So let's turn our attention to this year's team, Eamon, because you know there's no question, you kind of alluded to this, there's no question there's a lot of talent on this roster. There are some questions about how that talent fits and if they have talent in all the places that they need it. So I'm curious how you're kind of rating and looking at this Indiana team and what your expectations are, what you think are fair expectations for this season. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think top 30, top 35 level team is probably about right. I mean, I think, um, the guys that you're most excited about are young, probably, uh, or slightly unproven, like Kalel Wares looks extremely talented, um, a little unproven. Uh, Mbako, obviously super talented, but you never know with, with freshmen. Um, and I think the guard spots are a little light. I, I don't have like a super um, like locked in or a, a super like um, – what's the word mind blowing hot take on Indiana. I feel like Xavier Johnson is, is a really good guard. That's going to have to do a ton because there isn't a lot of other guard depth necessarily there that I see. Um, But you know, you look up and down, like 
I'm excited for Malik Renew. I feel like he's going to have a really good season. We do. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm ex- like, if Trey Galloway can shoot the ball from three at like a 31 percent clip, then he's going to be a really good college player. He already is, I think, a really good college player with his activity and his motor and getting at the rim and stuff. He just one more thing, which is just be a jump shooter a little bit. Um, but deeper than that, I don't think there's a ton of proven guard depth. And so that's the big question for me. Um, but I think it's a team that has a lot of potential and has a really high ceiling. Uh, I don't think the floor is particularly low either, but it's all right. Like I'm, I'm excited to see how they turn out. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned ceiling. So I got some questions from our community members, told them you were going to be on the show. And so I'll sprinkle some of those in here as we go. But the first question that we got was from Matt, who said, get him on the record for what he believes Indiana's ceiling is for the upcoming season. So how would you how would you define that ceiling? Like, what do you think is reasonably, you know, as high as this team can go if everything goes well? Um, Man, I would probably say, I mean, it's, you know, get into the tournament as a single digit seed. And then you kind of go from there. Like, do I think they're going to win the big 10? No. Um, like Purdue's probably going to win the big 10 or Michigan state. Michigan maybe. State. Yeah. Um, but I think the, you know, the, the odds of Indiana getting a tournament probably pretty good. And I think once you get there, particularly if you're not a, a you know, a bubble team, your chances of getting to the sweet 16, particularly with a slightly younger group are pretty good. And like, you have a chance, you have talent, you have, you you know, as long as David Johnson stays healthy and he has the ball in his hands, like the, the ceiling is get into the tournament and see how it goes, which I know is like a very milk toast thing, but that's always how it is. It's like you win random games in the tournament, you lose random games in the tournament. You never know how it's going to go. Like two years ago, Indiana, like, got into the, you know, the first four or whatever, and then got sent to the West Coast to play St. Mary's two nights later and got absolutely smoked. There's so much luck involved and matchups and, yeah. Yeah, that's how it goes. Um, so, ceiling-wise, I'm not going to give you, like, a specific round. Like, this is a potential Elite Eight team. Like, who knows? Maybe. But it, just get into the tournament as a single-digit seed, even if it's an 8-9 seed, whatever, and and see how you do. As we look at the Big Ten, you know, you mentioned Michigan State and Purdue. They are the clear favorites, I think, in the conference. And then Indiana's kind of in that next group of, you know, kind of a bunch of teams where they've got a lot of question marks, but a lot of talent. No one's quite sure what to expect. I'm curious, as you look at the Big Ten, what teams do you feel strongest about in either direction? Like you kind of feel like you're maybe stronger than the consensus. This team's going to be better or maybe a little more pessimistic than most. Yeah, I mean... I would say this is again a very mediocre thing, um, but I feel like Purdue is going to be even better than people are saying. I feel like Purdue has a chance to be like midway through the season, having not lost a game, looking like incredibly good. Um, you're basically taking last year's team with Zach Eady back, maybe slightly better based on what Matt Painter has been saying, and those guards not being freshmen anymore. And I think that's just a big thing, like Braden Smith and, and Foster Lawyer not being not being freshmen and not being quite as easy to physically bully a little bit as they were last year. I think Purdue has a chance to be like a you know, 
oh my God, these guys are, you know, these guys need to win the national title type of team, like midway through, you know, January or whatever. I think Maryland is going to be better than people think. I think Maryland is a really, really good team. Um, brought key guys back. Um, and I think Kevin Willard is a super underrated coach. I think at Seton Hall, it was very easy to um, kind of look at him and be like, yeah, they're pretty good every year, whatever. But without the context of Seton Hall is a very difficult place to be good. Their, their, their gym, their practice gym is literally like a Catholic school, grade school gym. They're like, I grew up in playing in, in Iowa. Like the ceiling is like, yay high. Like it's not, the facilities are not great and you have to recruit a certain type of kid and be a, a very like um, intense figure, which is why I think they made a good hire with Shaheen Holloway too. Um, but Kevin Willard did a really nice job there and putting him into the Maryland job with the resources that, that Maryland has is like, I feel like they're going to be good for a while. And I feel like they're going to be much better even next year than a lot of people are expecting. Yeah. Eamon, actually, we sat down in San Diego, not, not this past turn, but the one before he was in town and, and he actually told me, uh, that Willard was a great hire for Maryland for all of those reasons that it's really difficult mm. to win at Seton Hall. So it, uh, he holds true to that opinion. Interesting. I do. We had, uh, Brian was booing you during your positive comments about Purdue. So you're, <laughs> you're losing subscribers here. It's I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I have to be, I have to be, um, he's and, a national reporter guys. Come on. It's, let me ask yeah. you this. And I mean, you probably are one of the most qualified people to answer this question. Inevitably, there are going to be comparisons between Purdue and Virginia from 2019 because of, you know, Virginia lost to a 16 seed Purdue. Now the only other team to do that. Do you see similarities between that team that Virginia had coming back that then ended up going on and winning the national championship? You know, because to me, you know, that team was loaded with four guys who played in the NBA and this Purdue team doesn't quite seem like that. But are there other things there that you think are are similar that could, you know, help propel Purdue to to go further, further than they did last year? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... Yes, I I see a lot of similarities. I mean, you step back and look at it, it's like well-liked coach who hasn't had as much tournament success as his regular season success would dictate. Um, questions about the style of play. In Virginia's case, like they're too slow. They play this pack line defense. You can shoot over the top of them. And in Purdue's case, oh, their best player is always a big guy, whatever. Um, and I feel like there is... Uh, you know, Virginia went through that season just constantly talking about it, constantly being reminded of it. Every single post-game press conference, it was like, how does this, you know, blah, 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 relate to the fact that you guys got beat by UMBC? And so they just became so inured to the fact that they, that this happened to them. And so totally, like, okay with it, that I feel like once they got into the following tournament, they were able to play with the exception of the very first game in that tournament where they trailed by half to at halftime to, I think UNC Greensboro. And I was at that game. It was like, Oh my God, this is going to happen again. These guys, and they, that's when they were like, they all admitted after the fact, like we were terrified. terrified. Um, <laughs> imagine doing that twice, but you know, once they got past that, they blew them out in the second half. And then every other game, it was just like, what's the worst thing that can happen to us now? Nothing bad. You get that monkey off your back and compared yeah. to, compared to, Last year, nothing bad is going to happen to us. And you just 
you throw the dice out and see how it goes. And you look back at their tournament run and you see the total crazy crapshoot of the NCAA tournament. Just the, the number of games they won close. The title game was in overtime. The, the game against Auburn when they need that call on Kyle Guy to get those three free throws. Yep. I mean, it, this is the NCAA tournament. And any one of those stages, the Purdue game, like they could have lost in the Elite Eight to Purdue very easily in Louisville, except for that Mama Diakite shot that um, was, you know, to tie the game in regulation. Like, so I feel like once you go through something like that as a team and it's super embarrassing and you spend all season thinking about it and they're going to spend a plenty, plenty of time talking about it, already have, Matt Painter's already talking about it. I just feel like you get something put in you where it's just like, the the thing that crushes teams in the tournament and the thing that crushed Purdue last year is like, oh my God, what if we lose this? What if we lose right now? We're going to lose. Oh my God, what if we lose? If you can get all those thoughts out of your head and just play and you're the better team, you're going to win by 30. And so that's the the thing that I think gives them an advantage is like having gone through that, it'll be better. I also think, like I said, their guards are not freshmen anymore. They're not going to hit a wall the same way they did this past year. They're not going to be as easily to physically bully they're going to be better and guard play is what you need in the tournament as well. Because we saw against Fairleigh Dickinson, you can chuck the ball down to Zach Eady, but if he's got five guys around him and no one else can make a shot, you're done. Um, you're dead in the water. So I, it'll be interesting to see. I think that loss also spawned or spurned Tony Bennett to make a, a few changes at Virginia. He changed the offense that he threw in a whole nother offense that they ran alongside their traditional um, mover blocker stuff. And he got Kihei Clark who, um, whatever you think about his career at Virginia was able to put pressure on the ball in a way that Tony Bennett's players traditionally didn't do. And so they, they made two big changes that made them a more effective team. And my parents talking about doing that. Um, I just think there's a lot that like, it, it makes you better. It makes you stronger. And um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Purdue look like a much more complete focused team, even though they're going to have to deal with like, I don't remember when you guys lost to Fairleigh Dickinson basically all year. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that Virginia run because that was a crazy amount of like close games and things that happened and things that just worked out in their favor. It was almost the exact opposite of the year before. And I always try, try and say this to people like you can run the tournament exact the exact same tournament bracket a thousand times and you'll probably get 950 different brackets you know i mean because it yeah. is just so much about these little things that it doesn't matter what your seed is and whatever after a certain point there's so much that goes on and so many matchups that you know work for you work against you or somebody gets hot somebody sprains an ankle whatever that just can change it so once you get in the tournament you're right once you get to the sweet 16 all right now let's let's knuckle down and try and win games normally, but just to get there is so dependent on where you wind up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate crapshoot and everybody can win in the, or everybody, you know, coaches, programs, whatever, can't win in the tournament. And then they do like Villanova shot too many threes. And that's why they kept losing in the first weekend of the tournament. And then, you know, they win two national titles in four years, whatever. Um, You know, like Gonzaga used to, I mean, they haven't won a national title yet, but they've been to a bunch of final fours. Now they've been to two national title games. They were a bucket away against Carolina. Like it's going to happen eventually. There's all that. Yeah, it's going to happen. And, and Purdue's the same way. Like it had Virginia was the same way. Um, they, they had horrible, even down to the, the terrible elite, like heartbreaking elite eight loss that they took to Syracuse that year. Um, when they had, mm. uh, Malcolm brought like Malcolm Brogdon senior year, they were up by like 20. They should have won that game. 
and Syracuse started zone pressing and Virginia just melted down. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of similarities with a lot of these teams where you, you're like, you know, there's all these takes about how X, Y, and Z can't win in the tournament and Virginia style can't win in the tournament. And then you just get enough talented guys on the floor and you make shots in the tournament when it matters and you, you win a national title. It's just how it works. The other thing I want to get your perspective on uh, tonight, because, you know, just reading you on the buzzer, I think you've had a lot of interesting things to say about it, is everything that's happening in the college sports landscape with conference realignment and where college basketball fits in there. Because we all know that it's driven by football. And yet, you know, college basketball still drives money and has obviously a very big, you know, uh, entertainment property at the end of the year there with the with March Madness. You know, what are your thoughts on kind of how all this is going to affect college basketball and, you know, especially a school like Indiana that is much more basketball focused than football? You know, what are some things that we should all be kind of watching out for? Yeah, I mean, I think long term, um, you know, you'd be mildly concerned as an Indiana fan if it becomes like college football is literally the only thing that matters. Um, the Big Ten's largesse has been a boon to Indiana. I mean, I remember when I was in school, they were sitting down with uh, one of the administrators because I wrote some dumb college kid column about like, why can't we have a student section like Michigan State? It's all everybody wraps around the court or whatever. And he's like, do you know how much people pay to sit down there? Like how much do these boosters pay us to pay to, to sit, you know, close, you know, in the first five rows and they've been paying it for 50 years or whatever. We're going to kick them out. So you paying 150 bucks can, can sit down there. Like there's yes. no chance. Like, he's like, do you know how, <laughs> you know, do you know how much money Michigan makes on a football Saturday? It's like $4 million. Do you know how much we make all of basketball season that? So like, the, you know, it, Indiana getting a bunch of money from the big 10 network has been a huge boon because it wasn't able to compete resource wise with the schools like Michigan and Ohio state who um, create all this money from football revenue, even beyond the TV stuff. Well, you've Um, seen that in the facility upgrades that have been coming in waves over the last five to 10 years, every, you know, every sport has had their place, their, their field or their arena redone. I mean, yes, for sure. Yeah. And um, so broadly speaking, I think, um, whatever the individual reasons for why things are happening, like, Oh, Arizona, we, we know we need to go to the big 12 because of whatever, or Colorado, or, you know, obviously Oregon and Washington and US, USC and UCLA are going to get more money for being in a big 10. Um, I just think that my general takeaway is that the desire to increase your marginal revenue from TV uh, has kind of overridden the the traditional reasons why people care about college sports it's not because it's the nfl or the nba where you've just got franchises kind of peppered around the country it's because people care about oregon state playing oregon and they put they care about washington state playing washington i don't really care about that i'm from iowa but people <laughs> in washington and oregon care about that a lot yeah. and so like to just peace we're out we're going to the big 10 and maybe we'll work something out maybe we won't like we've seen it in small amounts throughout you know over the last like 30 years but you don't really see it in sort of the naked way that we've seen over the last like two months and i think that the acc is probably next because that conference doesn't make a lot of sense as it's currently constructed 
Um, it's basically a basketball league with a few football programs in it that want to be like big time SEC level football programs. I well, just wait till they get Stanford, Cal, and SMU, and it'll make a lot more sense. Game changers, baby. Game changers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Broadly, my takeaway is that like you can always rationalize whatever individual decision, but then you stop and take a step back over the last like two months and you look at where we are, and it's just like this is not really why a lot of people get into college athletics in the first place rivalry regionality quirky little stuff on campus that's why people too. care yeah familiarity um the fact that you know you work in portland and your you know cubicle mate is a oregon state fan and you're an oregon fan and you both know exactly what that means to the other person all of that stuff matters and um is kind of what makes college sports good in the first place and without it you know imagine indiana and purdue being at a different conference like, what are we doing here? Yeah. No, I I was uh, one thing that comes up out here, and I I've talked to some parents of of kids who are going to college at USC and UCLA. They won't be able to drive to their games anymore. They used to be able to drive to every game and and see their kid play every game. Now they got to fly across the country to see half their games. And I honestly think that the the first move that made absolutely no sense was the big 10 adding Maryland and Rutgers because it, they weren't, it wasn't regional anymore. And it was, yeah. I get why they did that. There's a revenue reason why they did that. And dollars and cents wise, you can start to rationalize that. But from then on conferences didn't make sense. The big 10 was the Midwest conference. The pack 10, the pack 10 was the West coast ACC Atlantic. It's in the name. And now they got teams on the Pacific. They're going to have teams on the Pacific. The big 12 was like the, you know, Southland, like, it just made sense and now it doesn't. And and I you're right when you compare it to the NFL now or one of these you know professional league. That's what it's become. And it's all centered around football and it's all centered around money. And the people who lose are the student athletes. Yeah. That's I mean, and the fans. Those are the two, those are the two groups who are gonna lose from this. And I don't think it's gonna mean as much from people. And I think that what you're getting is your I think that what college sports is trying to do is appeal to casual people who want to watch USC and Ohio state possibly play. Not the people who are diehards who actually liked living in Arizona and get to see USC play Arizona state every other year or whatever, Oregon and Oregon state. Like you said, you're not catering to your actual diehard fans. And I think that's, that's really sad. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you look where the people are in the country and it's like, there's a whole lot of them in New York and New Jersey. Most of those people don't care about college football. Nope. What if you could get them to, you know, what if you could get them to care about college football more regularly than they already do? Um, And I think the, you know, the business case for it, you can definitely make sense, understand and make the case. But um, like we're talking about college sports, like it's been three years since we've been allowed to give players NIL money like the the whole idea of it now is so nakedly um greedy which yeah yeah and that like I'm not shaming anybody for trying to make money but uh it's so naked now that you feel like a, a big part of what makes college athletics like a big part of its soul is probably at risk here couple final questions here for you, Eamon. This one from Valerie. She says, lots of former NBA star players are coaching college teams with mixed success. Woody has NBA coaching experience. Does that give him a leg up over Juwan Howard and Penny Hardaway, the examples that she uses? Those two have been utterly unimpressive, but they'd still get star recruits. What gives? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I just think Woodson's been a coach, coach for a long time. Um, you know, Jawan was like an NBA guy, but he wasn't an NBA. Was he an NBA head coach at any point? I don't know no, that he just was. Just an assistant. Yeah, I just think I think Woodson was just like a locked in NBA journeyman coach for such a long time that he's just a coach now. He's not like an NBA figure. A lot of the NBA guys who came down came down because they couldn't get NBA head coaching jobs. Um, you know, Patrick Ewing couldn't get an NBA head coaching job for 20 years. And then at Georgetown, we kind of found out why, um, you know, Chris Mullen, same deal, bounced around a lot of front offices, actually Fred Hoiberg at the start of his coaching career went to Iowa state because he was a front office guy and he wanted to get into coaching and he did a really nice job as a front office guy, scout, whatever, wanted to get into coaching, did a really nice job at Iowa state. And then was able to go be the bulls head coach. Um, but mostly that has not been the case. And these guys come down because, you know, with, with exceptions and everybody's different, but um, yeah, I mean, Woodson was, just, he's been a coach for like 30 years in the NBA. So he's just a coach at this point. And the fact of him being former NBA to college, whatever, I think matters a little bit less. Um, I think, like I said earlier, I think it benefits him in that he's just cool with putting a roster together and trying to get the most out of it every year. Cause that's, that's what you do in the NBA. You have continuity, but, you're filling out on the margins with new guys and new styles of play and whatever. And he seems very comfortable in that mold. Yeah. What's interesting is, is the, uh, the recruitments he's been the most successful at have been transfers and those quick recruitments from decommits, which is kind of like NBA free agency. And, and it's actually kind of lined up perfectly with what he does. These long two year recruitments have not been where Indiana's, Hopefully that starts to change. (laughs) Well, hopefully we're, we're, we're we're all, we all got our fingers crossed, but you know, we'll see. Um, all right, last question for you, Eamon. As you kind of look at the college basketball landscape for this season, what are some of the stories that you're most interested in, like outside of the Big Ten? Um, what are maybe some teams, some figures, some stories that you're excited to see play out this season? Yeah, I mean, I think Purdue is the number one for me. We already mentioned that. Obviously, you said outside the Big Ten, but like they're the they're the team that is most interesting to me. I think Connecticut's ongoing re-rise into being a national power under under Danny Hurley is really interesting. I'm really Aren't they just going to go away for a few years and then win the national championship in like, you know, three years out of nowhere? It's what UConn does. With a different coach? <laughs> it's, it's always possible. They do it with a journeyman coach or, or a, an interim head coach that they then fire like six months later. But yeah. um, no, I think Hurley is probably there to stay unless they do something yeah. crazy in realignment and, you know, whatever. He just got a big new contract. I think he got like a $30 million contract. Um uh, I mean, Marquette is a very interesting team to me, basically the same team as last year. And it's like, can you just do continuity? They have no transfers. I don't think they had any tra- – they might have had a couple guys, fringe guys leave. They don't have anybody coming in. Um, and Shaka is like, that's a selling point for him. He's very like, we're going to swerve on the whole transfer portal thing. I think that's interesting, particularly for coaches, like we mentioned earlier, like Tony Bennett, Virginia, who would I think would like to do that. Um, you know, Kansas, Hunter Dickinson. That's, that's all you got to say. That's a- <laughs> really like Hunter Dickinson is going to be a very interesting player. I, I don't totally understand his desire to be seen as like this bad boy type of dude. Um, but he's going to be really good there and Kansas is going to be really good. And it'll be, I mean, no slide on Jawan Howard. I think he put it together a really good team, particularly Dickinson's freshman year um, and coached them well. But seeing Dickinson play basketball for Bill Self is probably going to be a bit of a revelation, I would guess. 
for pretty for much all those teams except well. for Marquette. Yeah. Indiana's playing this season. No, oh, there UConn, you go. Kansas, Purdue, obviously. So we'll it's a good schedule. See, yeah, we'll get to see some of those teams up close. Well, hey, man, really appreciate you taking the time tonight. This was great, and hopefully we can have you on the show again uh, in the future. Yeah. Let's remind folks to go subscribe uh, to – it's just Buzzer. It's not The Buzzer, right? It's just it's Buzzer. It's just Buzzer. Just Lose Buzzer. The, it's cleaner. Okay. That's right. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I, that's a good yeah. reference. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can just go to um, – it's emanbrennan.com is my website that I – Okay, I that'll take you there. To, so, cool. yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. Or you can just go- Google my name, and it comes up pretty, pretty high up. So. It's great, folks. Yeah. Go follow it. It is. Cool. It is great. Subscribe. Hey, thanks track for coming, stuff. Eamon, thanks so much for being here, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for Good having you, me, buddy. Guys. Thank you so much. Absolutely. The great Eamon Brennan, everybody. Go to EamonBrennan.com. Subscribe to Buzzer. It's good stuff. I've been subscribed since day one. I've enjoyed every issue Same. so far. It's awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, right, thanks, Eamon. brother. All right. We love Eamon. He's a good dude. We do love Eamon. Great perspective. It only took 12 years of nagging, but he... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, I know. Some people are like like, done with the Purdue talk, all that stuff. I know, but I mean, they are obviously an interesting team. And that's a national story this year. It's going to be a huge national story because they brought back the national player of the year. They lost in the first round tournament. Get used to seeing a lot of Purdue articles, folks. And then and we hopefully can they laugh. fall flat on their face. Yeah, we can laugh when they fall flat on their face. But going into the season, get ready for it. I said I, I put my my foot there. I, I think Michigan State's going to win the Big Ten. I think there's just too I much agree. talent on that roster, and I think that they can. Ma- they're the one team that can probably manhandle Purdue uh, physically. But I, Purdue's going to be a huge story this year, guys. They're going to be number one probably to start the season or close to it, and be right there throughout the season, just like last year. Tipper, it won't be a surprise. So and they probably won't have the easiest schedule in the conference this year. No, to, uh, no. to fatten up on. So well, you never. Know. I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? But I'm with you. I, I tend to like Michigan State's pieces uh, and balance a little bit better. Um, but you know, it's I'm. The Big Ten, I think, is really interesting this year, you know, because I feel like Big Ten basketball is always better when you have kind of some clear top dogs. Obviously, we like for Indiana to be in that group, not really this season, but you do kind of have those clear top dogs in Michigan State and Purdue, and then a whole bunch of interesting teams behind them. You know, I mean, you could make a case for five or six teams that could finish third. I mean, you could credibly argue Maryland, Indiana, Wisconsin, Illinois, and I'm probably forgetting a couple others, you know, that you could argue that could finish third. Um, so it's going to be fascinating, fascinating season. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Ryan, before we, uh, wrap up here? Uh, I'm glad that there weren't any negative stories about my college days. Cause he certainly could have broke some out. So, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I just, it's a flashback when I, like, I saw him last year in San Diego, he was out here covering the opening round in San Diego and we met up. We hadn't seen each other since he, since 2007. Wow. So just to date ourselves. Um, but, and we sat down it was, it was great to talk to him and, you know, reminisce a little bit and, uh, he's a great dude. And, uh, you know, the athletic, uh, I'm sorry to say for their sake, but they screwed up, uh, and he is, uh, doing a fantastic a job. Yeah, they did. And it's sad to see what's happening to that college basketball desk. Um, but he's, he's fantastic. And I think everybody should go subscribe. If you like college basketball, subscribe to that newsletter, that, and that needs something to call. That's all you need. You know, what's it's, interesting though. I mean, it's almost like. In a certain way, college sports are making a similar mistake to what The Athletic made, which is forgetting why people cared about them in the first place. People signed up for The Athletic because of the promise of really good local coverage, you know, of the teams you cared about. And that was the thing. 
and they had and their super high arrogant quality. Yeah. Yes, they had their super arrogant statements about how we're going to bleed all the local papers dry and all that stuff, and like whatever, you know, they're Silicon Valley arrogant guys. But if you deliver good local coverage, that's fine. And then well, it's the other like they completely is- forgot about that mission and went in a totally different direction. And it's just it's not the same. They've lost talent. I know they've lost subscribers. So it just you know soapbox it, it, moment here. Soapbox okay, go for it uh, about this business uh, that I am a, uh, I am involved in. The problem we face is the shareholder problem, where you constantly have to be increasing profits, as opposed to the idea that if you break even and everybody's getting paid, including the CEO and the people at the top, you've done your job. Yes, like. As long as you're not losing money, and and again, if you invest too heavily, as The Athletic reportedly did, you could lose some money, but then you sell to a company that has to appease shareholders, you wind up hurting yourself. If you can just exist with the amount of money you're making and incrementally increase your coverage, you can keep your whole staff together. You can get paid as the executive what your salary is and continue to have this for as long as you want. And yeah. selling out that way is so short-sighted because guess who the first person's going to be to go when you sell that? It's going to be the highest-priced people. And so the people at the top who make that decision are putting themselves essentially out of a job. And everybody thinks, it's not going to be me. That won't happen to me. Well, yeah, it will. And so when you run a great publication that is slightly making money, but everybody's getting paid, why would you give that up? And that's that's my the problem is the people who that run short-term media, money looks so good, man. It looks so good, <laughs> and guess what? the 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 product dies in the end. Look at Every, Sports Illustrated, and, and everybody thinks they're going to be the one to crack the code, and it'll be different. And it never is. It winds up the same way every single time. Massive conglomerate because of the perverse it. incentives that you're talking about. It's not and about it, quality. It's not about serving the audience anymore. It's, it's about, about making hockey one, stick growth. It's making one more buck than you did yesterday. Yes. That's all that matters. And your stock price going up a single dollar so everybody can get their bonuses. So and, and look, I, that's for like, in, a, I think, well, I, I will say this before uh, uh, the future of media is going to be people like Eamon yes. getting a solid backing of subscribers, creating good content and being paid for it. Yes. And, and creating and a nice lifestyle business for himself and, and serving and, his audience humbly like he does. And 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 what's going to happen is these big publications are going to lose all the good people and be left wondering why nobody wants to read their stuff. And so that's that's what's gonna happen. And it's really sad because you would wish that somebody would just wake the hell up and be like, No, I'm not gonna sell. We're all happy right now. Why would I want to screw this up? Yes. And so that's I eventually that's where media is going to go. Somebody's going to figure that out. There are right now a bunch of subscription level places that have low overhead that produce a decent amount of revenue and are never going anywhere and those are the places you should I mean, you know, and and that seems like it's going to be the future. 100%. I mean there are some industries where that kind of venture capital mindset makes some sense and I get it. Journalism and media should not be one of not them. Not at, at all. all. No. Like it's not no. only that it doesn't make sense, it's actually bad for society to have those things. 100%. Together. So Because when the quality falls off, it impacts everybody. When the quality yes. of journalism and the quality of media coverage falls off, it impacts every aspect of of life and it's the kind of thing where it's almost like it should be a protected industry. Like I mean, you know, yeah. and and I again, mean, as Americans, we are very reflexive 
against that for good reason. I understand it. But there are certain things that that are precious and and we're allowing big money to ruin them. And and that's healthcare is another, but we could get into that another time. But you know, it's it is uh, not not here off offline. But uh, <laughs> but it's uh but no, I just I think it's sad to watch some of these media places get rid of their best people because they're trying to drive down costs and bleed a dollar. And yep. and it's it's really a shame and and it's a sh- and honestly in the end they won't be rewarded for it. So that's my soapbox moment about the state of of media and journalism. Uh so that email you sent earlier about how we needed to get rid of Andy and coach so that you could have a higher Jared, salary that was in confidence. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking split it two ways instead of four. But you know what? We got to appease the shareholders, Jared. <laughs> And we need we need bracketologists. I mean, if those two guys aren't here, and we you and I have to preview teams or talk about bracketology, we could get a cheaper be a younger bracketologist. Let's go, let's go get that <laughs> quality. Might not be as good, but yeah, we'll just, save so let's much. Get money. one of the one of the students from Delphi Bracketology. Yeah. There you They'll go. Do it for less money. <laughs> He'll do it for nothing. Again, quality not as good, but who cares? It's more yeah. money. Let's save some dough. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was. Uh, fun. That was fun. All right. And Andy and gonna, Coach are gonna be like are gonna get text right now. They're gonna be like, wait, what? Uh, that'll do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, you can join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you as always to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next Thursday to talk IU hoops again uh, with you. Until then. Take it from me, Christian Wofford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Bam. Good stuff, man. Coach, we'd never let you go. No, of course not. Younger, I'm teasing. I need someone else who can host. Yeah, seriously. If anybody's going, it's the people who don't host the show. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) By the way, big props to Bob Thompson and John Ringer. Um, I just launched another po- uh, a new podcast with my business partner. Uh, it's called Longevity Gains. If anybody is interested in learning uh, marketing strategies uh, for businesses or marketers who are targeting the uh, ever-increasing older population in the United States, uh, it's a really interesting show, actually. It's called Longevity Gains. But Bob Thompson did our music. John Ringer did our logo and our show art. So I was very excited to be able to bring a little bit of assembly call flavor uh, over to that show. Those guys did a great job. Uh, so if you want to hear some new Bob Thompson music, go check out Longevity Gains, uh, which is a uh, going to be an interesting, fun show. It's the whole reason I'd listen for Bob. Just turn it off after the after yeah, <laughs> after the dude, Bob's on music now. is on there. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. Uh, what are we doing next week? Do we have any? Do we have anything planned for next week's show yet? All right, so let's see. Next week, nothing is planned. The week after that, Connor from Home Field is going to be on with us. Right, I knew that. Yeah, um, but no, next week we have nothing. So I imagine we'll probably Which is talk typical. some recruiting. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine we'll probably talk some recruiting. recruiting. Um, and also, okay, so I know that we had mentioned like potentially doing an event the second weekend in September at Upstairs. It's, it's a not. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so you and I aren't going to do it, but I think Galen actually is going to do something. That'd be awesome. Um, and yeah. I think Coach is going to join him. I think you know some friends like Griffin Gonzalez and some other people are going to. Can be we call there. in? 
Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was hoping to try and get kind of like a headliner, like a player or somebody, and schedules just didn't really work out with it. Um, but that's fine. You know, I we love Galen. Um, and so we'll get you the details for that when it happens. And maybe I shouldn't say anything because I don't know if it's like firm in Set stone, in stone, in stone yeah. but we'll let you know as soon as possible. Um, I have a question, yeah, Jared. That, that may th- actually happen. Yes. Are there any chances you could go another weekend in the fall? Oh, this year? Um, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I'm in, I'm in Italy from October 3rd to the 17th, but I've always loved the idea of doing a basketball preview show. I know I have too. It's, I know, I know. it gets a it's little just hard to do. It's just hard to do, but this year we will be doing a show when we do the meetup in yes. February ish. We're, we're not skipping that this year. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to do a post game show. I think we may, I think that worked well last year doing the post game show separate, but then maybe we'll come and do some kind of discussion or have a player there do something. Um, Cause I think it, so, I think it works better that way. Well, my idea would be have somebody, one of our peripheral groups do a post game show and then have us do a live show of some kind. Yes. Right some after kind. the game. Um, yes. you know, do, cause the thing is, I think that doing our actual full post game show was actually not a good idea live, um, because it's long and yes. people want to hang out. And, and I mean. so I, yeah, I was thinking uh, the idea I would like is like, have us do 20 minutes have crimson cast do 20 minutes, you know, like kind of get everybody to do a yeah, little, just something. talk about the game, maybe take some questions, a yeah. little more freewheeling yeah. and fun and not the, 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 the raffle and giveaway stuff was really fun too. I would love to do that again. And yeah. By the way, this is a conversation we should probably be having in private, but you know what? It's all right. Yeah. These are our people. Yeah. Whoever's listening yeah. now, they're our core audience. They can be in on all these conversations. This counts as after dark. It's all good. Right? This definitely counts as after dark. Um, Absolutely. Um, all right. So you got everything's starting up for you, man. NFL season's happening. Things are going to start getting busy. Yeah. Starts uh, next or a week from tonight. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be miserable for about the next six months, folks. So don't try and look me up. But no, I it's it's fun. I'm actually excited. It, it, it's funny. I never learned my I never learned my lesson. But when football rolls around, I'm always like, all right, this is going to be a great year. We're good. You know, there's good storylines. Blah blah. blah. By the, I would say by the but when I go to bed the night of the Super Bowl because that's Super Bowl is a noon to one a.m. night for yes. me, and that's West Coast time. Like it's that's the day and. I wake up the next morning and I'm like, I don't want to think about football again for six months because it is your entire life. When you guys, when you cover everything the way we do, it's, it's football for eight months, seven months, something like that. And so, yeah, it's, I couldn't do that. Well, I, when I worked at, I can hyper focus on basketball. I can't, I did that for a little bit with Midwest sports fans and I just don't like football enough to do it. Yeah. Well, and even, even basketball, I think writing as much as I have to write, you do burn out on whatever you're doing. You know, yes. I don't know how people are beat writers for, for teams. I'm sure it's a passion and a level of commitment that, uh, to that thing that I don't think I would ever have. Um, and that's why you see beat writers sometimes if they're in a city with multiple sports teams, after a few years, they change to the other sports team. Uh, because how many times can you write the same story? But I, when I was working for Bleacher Report and we had to write, you know, seven to eight articles a day, and I was on the football, I was on the NFL team. I remember at the end of my first year doing that, I, I asked him, like, can you put me on any other sport, please? Just not football. And mm-hmm. then they were like, well, do you want to be one of the guys in charge of the football department? I was like, 
do I have to write eight articles a day? And they're like, no, I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it was just like anything else right now, please, God, put mm-hmm. me on bowling. I don't care. Um, so yeah, it just, it, it is a lot. It's uh, you try and throw things in for variety and, and mix it up. But yeah, it's starting next Thursday. My life will be the NFL for quite some time. Keep writing your thoughts, everybody. Yeah, seriously, I have the, I have the hardest job in the world, folks. It's it's terrible. Weep for me at night. Uh, <laughs> no, look, we all have things about our jobs that are tough. Come on, it's yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and look, I love writing about football. Don't get me wrong. It's just that after a while, it becomes everything, and it's just like I need. It's it's like people who you know do whatever they do, and as soon as like the busy season's done, they go on vacation for three weeks or whatever. Like that's exactly what it is for the NFL for me. The rest I mean, of the I, year, I love doing this, but you know, once the season's over, it's it's nice it's to tough. not have a yeah. It's not take a break. Yeah. You got to have seasons. I mean, we do. There stuff, are times right? we're doing four shows a week, you know, and it's it's tough. It's fun. There's adrenaline, and oh, it's, it's you know, it's exciting. But yeah, it's like we love Twitter. We wouldn't do it, but like yeah, it is. You need, it, you need a break a from it. You need a break from it. Yeah, I'm actually That's getting excited. Sure. Uh, over the, you know the middle of the summer, like June early july you kind of hit a low with this but leading up to see i'm starting to actually get excited by the way i did the trivia thing you would have beat me by one that's it really wow I played it back yeah you would okay. beat me by one nice and one of and two of the ones i answered one i got right one i got wrong were i guessed but the other answer i had so the one i guessed on would have been wrong what i got right would have been wrong with my instinct and the other one my instinct was right and i guessed wrong so would have been close it would have been a good one we'll have to do it again do we believe him? No, I mean, I, you know, some of the stuff you like good, the, you have a good memory, so I that, yeah, that does not surprise me. I do, and and some of the old school stuff just happened to be stuff I knew. It was like the last time they made the Sweet Sixteen back to back years. I knew that because you guys have talked about it. It was the what ninety two ninety three ninety three ninety four ninety three ninety four. Yep. Yeah, and um, you know, some of those have just been I picked it up over the years, not because I actually like know it, you know, or know the storylines, um, but. Yeah, no, I did, I did pretty well. One of them was uh, the three-point percentage one, and none of you guys got it, and it was Matt Roth. I was like, how do you I, not remember I had such that? A it was like the one, remarkable, it was the one remarkable thing about that team. <laughs> you know, like... I know. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those where like I knew that instantly, but I got all the answers you guys listed. I'm like, I can see that. I can see that. I can see that, you know. So. Yeah, that was fun. We got to do that again. It was, it was a blast. Chris, Chris, is, Chris did an awesome job. Yeah. He's the so, best, man. We'll do another one at some point. We will. We will. All right. Well, everybody, let's cheer on our Hoosiers on Saturday. I have no idea what to expect. Can't say my expectations are that high, but let's watch them and let's hope it's better than we think. Um, And then let's hope for some good recruiting news here as we move forward in September and October. And cheer on Michael Penix, except for when he plays USC. So there you go. Oh, I will be cheering on Michael Penix at all times. I I am definitely a Washington fan this year. I love Michael Penix. Cool. We can talk trash that one Saturday. Yeah. And that great, uh, oh, I mean, it's just a huge battle between Big Ten foes. It's a Big Ten rivalry, man. By the way, how dumb is it that the ACC is trying to get Stanford to Cal? Like, why is the Big Ten not doing that? It's the Bay Area. I don't know. It makes no sense. Like, who who else is the Big Ten going to add? They have to add two more. I don't know. Go to the ACC for like Clemson, so you have the South Carolina market or the North Carolina market with UNC. Like it makes no sense. They already have DC. They don't need Virginia. Like I don't know. None of this makes sense. sense. All right, all right, guys. Well, have a great one. See y'all inside the community, and see you next Thursday.
Take care, everybody. Bye, guys.